0: Welcome to The Ziggler Show. I'm your host, Kevin Miller, and this is our Q&A show. What is a negative truth about yourself you would like to change? So we're going to hear a short clip from Zig Ziegler about his past, and a past where he referred to himself and actually had his kids refer to him as well as Fat Boy. Why? Well, because he was overweight. And he t- talks about just the relevance, the power of how we see ourselves, of course, and how he had to change that for himself. So from this, I asked on Facebook, what is a negative truth about yourself that you would like to change? It was a question I was actually concerned would not get much response. Instead, I got inundated with just incredibly frank and intimate responses. Here's a sampling of just some of the things people threw out. I'm impatient. I react emotionally to everything. I keep reacting poorly to my wife. I'm waiting for things to be perfect. I create too much drama. I procrastinate. I struggle to balance optimism versus reality. I build a wall and don't know how to have meaningful relationships. And it just keeps on going. I mean, the struggle is truly real. And those are just clips. I mean, you're going to want to hear the details of what those people shared on what they are doing about those issues. It's really tremendous. From the question that what came out during the show and recording it was, is admitting really the first step? How powerful is that? And that's the age old cliche, isn't it? So now that you are aware and actually admit it, are you a step closer to changing? So I had Michelle Prince join me to talk through your comments and this issue. All right, well, here is Zig Ziglar with a short clip about him being fat boy.
1: 23 years ago, I got on a sensible eating and exercise program. Up until then, my idea of exercise simply was to fill the tub, take a bath, pull the plug, and fight the current. I mean, you know, that was it. Now, that's not really that much of an exercise program. Now, the reality is eating too much wasn't my problem. See, I had a picture of myself. I'm a fat boy. I'm a fat man. When my youngest daughter, who will be 40 on August 26th, was a little girl I taught her when she was 18 months old to call me fat boy. Now she didn't know what she was doing. She would laugh because I would laugh on the outside.
0: I'm a foodie and I enjoy learning about the process that brings great foods and beverages from idea to the table. And then I like tasting them and learning the nuances of what creates the most significant tastes from coffee to cheese to distilled beverages. I did a so look for it at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely and drink wisely.
1: But on the inside, it was an entirely different matter. See, I knew I was a fat boy, and it hurt. I could look in the mirror, and I could tell. I had a picture of me laying out on the diving board of the swimming pool. At least part of me was on the diving board. I could tell. I saw myself as a fat boy. And as long as I saw myself as a fat boy, didn't make it ever how much weight I lost. It's coming right back. 100% of the time, it will come back until the picture changes. You've got to see yourself where you want to be.
0: Well, there you go, folks. From that clip, again, the question I asked was, what is the negative truth about yourself you would like to change? Michelle Prince joins me as we talk through just the incredible comments. Hey, real quick before we start, we are just about to go over a thousand ratings in iTunes and we're only 20 away as of this recording. Uh, asking if you would help me get over that thousand mark. All you have to do is click the stars to give us a rating. And actually, if you'd even go further and leave a review, let me know on Facebook. Go to AgentKMiller.com. Let me know. Give me your username that you used uh, so we can check it out that you left a review there. And I'll thank you with a free copy of Zig Ziglar and Tom Ziglar's book, Born to Win. All right, folks, here we go with our Q&A show. Well, Michelle, we got a lot of comments to this question. I actually wasn't sure if we would, because I know on Facebook and social media, people tend to respond to the positive question. Hey, who's conquered Mount Everest? Mm -hmm. And everybody wants to tell you about that. If you say something negative, they don't usually. Oh my gosh. Again, attesting to the quality, uh, of our listeners here and and folks, it's just incredible responses in a lot of them. Um, So that's fantastic. It it really is. It was, it was incredible just as they, they often are. And we grouped some of them together. So there's some of them I'll come to and I'll read, you know, two, three, four at a time on, on something and, uh, and we'll just work through them like we normally do.
2: Okay. Sounds great.
0: All right. And if anywhere along there, you hit one that hits a chord with you, of course, speak up. Uh, oh, I
2: I am pretty sure I'll have I, a couple. <laughs> I know. I saw,
0: I saw as I was reading through the groupings, I had my assistant do it. And, and there's a grouping came along and there's this guy named Kevin Miller. And he did that. Oh, that's me,
2: actually. Oh. <laughs> so uh,
0: I'll I'll come up here. Well, hey, I, w- I thought I'd start the first one off on a note that you and I know well, because I don't know if a show ever happens that we don't bring this up. Uh, Greg Coggins, he says, I am a people pleaser by nature. Yeah. He says, I don't say no. And when I do, I don't leave it at that, at that often. I coach people that no is a complete sentence, but I don't practice it. Um, this just comes out. I know you and I say it and we joke about it some, but it's a really uh, you know solid issue with people. I did an interview yesterday with Michael Hyatt and it came up there again because part of his counsel and his new book focus is that we've got to cut things out. We've got to say no to things. He, I think he even says flex, learn how to flex your no muscle. And man, as a people pleaser or not, and I, what we got to talking about that I think you'll appreciate, I know you will appreciate is as entrepreneurs, you know, and, and Ziglar and how to win friends and influence people. I mean, you're there to, and, and with a good heart, good intent, you're there to serve people. You're there to say yes, if at all possible. So saying no, just flat out often feels bad.
2: It does. Absolutely. It does. In fact, I I can so relate to this. And even though I I, I even jokingly say I'm a recovering people pleaser Mm -hmm. (laughs) because I have my moments where I am okay saying no to something, but, but still deep down. Yeah. I want to make sure that I make people happy. And Also, as an entrepreneur, you know, there's everything there's, you look at it like, well, that might be a good opportunity. So you don't want to say no if it's something that you're supposed to, you know, path you're supposed to go down. So it is a tough one. I was recently at a conference and I, I uh, had a chance to talk with Henry Cloud, who is the author of Boundaries, and he's the one who first said no is a complete sentence. And it's just, you know, even talking with him again, it just reminded me of how important it is, because when we say no to something we could do, then we're saying yes to the things we should do, the things that we're called to do. And it was just a great reminder for me and doing this show. Perfect timing another
0: great reminder. Well, there you go, Greg, you've got good company, if not unfortunate. Uh, but, uh, uh totally <laughs> understood. Well here, Dan, uh, Brandenburg, he says, despite knowing that I have many, here's another one that you and I talk about Michelle, despite knowing that I have many skills, abilities, and strengths can probably do do something in a rather short time, nearly anything I set my mind to. I feel like I often feel like I have nothing to contribute I am a classic case for imposter syndrome and I cannot shake it. Mm. I, you know, I wish I, we, you know, we talk about that just like we talk about being a people pleaser. I, I don't know if I'll ever shake it fully, but I can act differently. I like to get it out on the table and act accordingly. And that is one there you know, where I, I find myself getting ready to do an interview with a big name like Michael Hyatt and I'm nervous. I know I'll do a good job. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I absolutely do. And yet I am nervous and have these doubting feelings go on. It's psychotic. Uh, I don't, I don't think I have well, any For to sure.
2: For you. I mean, look at you, all the, interv- you know, all the podcasts, all the interviews you do. Surely <laughs> you can do a good job with, with the one you just did with Michael Hyatt, but I'm so with you on that. We, we sent, we tend to think sometimes that somebody else is bigger or better, or, you know, who am I to do this? But the truth is we're all human beings, right? Yeah. We're all just doing the best that we can. And I think I shared this with you another time, but I've read somewhere that people with imposter syndrome tend to be the ones that are the overachievers, the ones that do accomplish their goals. It kind of goes hand in hand. Hmm. So on one hand, it's it's not good to be, a, you know, that have that syndrome, but but on the other hand, it's typically the people that are making things happen.
0: Huh? That, you know, that's interesting. I mean, I do, I am aware that I like to put myself in situations that really challenge me. If it's easy, I'm bored with it. So I guess it makes sense. Mm -hmm. I'm going to end up in, in places like that. But, uh, you know, uh, to Dan, what he said, I think it's just good for us to know, to know that, okay, here's how I feel and make peace with it. If nothing else, well, here's a grouping that I did, uh, Michelle, or that we did on people who mentioned procrastinating, which Mm. is another one that I, I know that I do as well. Uh, well, here, I'll just read it. Steven Burns. he says, procrastination. I know it has cost me money, investments, and probably even jobs. It affects my health. I will always get around to it later. And I'm sure you've got one of these, Michelle. I keep one in my backpack or my briefcase. Oh, it is a backpack. I keep one of Zig's round to its.
2: Yes, I have one on my desk as well.
0: Yeah, yeah,
2: and it's so fun. I love it. And some people who, those of you who don't know what a round two it is, um, Zig has this little. It's it's a little kind of coin. But when people would say like, "Oh, you know, I'll get around to it," well, here's your round to it. Do it now. (laughs) Yeah, I just love that. It is. Um,
0: It is good. Well, here, here, let me read. I'll read a couple more. Roy uh, Huff. He says, "Uh, "TV has sometimes." delayed me from taking things to the next level. It's a fine line as a fiction author between consuming content and procrastinating. R and R is necessary and good, but sometimes it's important to watch out for habits if they become counterproductive. Uh I've since jump started my day with a 4 a.m. miracle morning and uh, I go to sleep by nine. This helps me Uh, knock my day out of the park, regardless of my post 5 PM uh, proclivities, but now it's Mm. time to take things to the next level. What was interesting to me in that is, you know, he said, R and R is necessary and good, but if it becomes, becomes counterproductive, that's an issue because back to what Steven said that he's lost, you know, money, investments and jobs. I don't know. I do procrastinate. I tend to just put things off. I I think I like the deadline. I like the rush at the end. And I've, I have made a little bit of peace with that. I have to answer generally to myself and, uh, but I'll get things done kind of at the last minute, but I know I'm going to do that. And I just tend to like that. So if there's a cost, it's probably to my own stress level. But I just, I enjoy that more than doing something two weeks ahead of time. I can't hardly get my head around it. So I found a way there, but I'm, again, I'm not having this, this really bad consequence, like losing a job. So maybe that's it is uh, not to justify it at all, but to kind of to balance, you know, are you okay with the cost of it? Are the costs that bad? Where is the fruit of it? I guess.
2: Right. And you know, for Roy, his being TV, we all have something, right? I I guess you can look at it as it's not good or bad, right? It's, it isn't a problem until it becomes your solution. So if you are watching TV just to get out of doing something that you need to do, or you're avoiding, or, you know, that's when things need to be reevaluated. I always say, I've done a lot of research on procrastination and productivity Mm -hmm. through the years when I was writing my book years ago, busy being busy, but getting nothing done. And, Mm -hmm. and, the truth is we all procrastinate, but we only tend to procrastinate on the things that are going to make us happier, healthier, more prosperous, have better relationships, which is really crazy when you mm-hmm. think about it. Because we don't procrastinate on checking Facebook or procrastinate on doing things that we don't really need to do. Yeah. It's usually on the things that matter most. So. Yeah. I think knowing is half the battle, right? If you know you're procrastinating on it, then you're more likely to to actually do something about it.
0: I am totally with you. I'm sometimes amazed at how I can procrastinate things that, man, I'm excited about, I'm passionate about it, you know, but it's still hard. Well, it's probably like, you know, you, you're in the book writing world when you sit down to write that book, man, I'm excited, but. I got to think that's, that's it is harder than going through my emails or as you said, social media or something. Yeah.
2: It it takes creative energy and sometimes it's just yeah. easier to do mindless stuff. <laughs> yeah.
0: Which is why the deadlines are good for me. Even if I have to manufacture those things. Uh, well, here's a couple where they mention an aspect of perfectionism, but it's kind of in the light of analysis paralysis that, that I think we've all heard of to some degree. And we hear that a lot with personality styles. Some people get hung up on analysis paralysis where I'm not, but I'm on the other side where I just pull the trigger and I'm not really ready. And that causes chaos as well. So, uh, but here I'll read them. Lori Sellers says, I struggle with the paralysis of perfection. It needs to be perfect, or I might as well not do it at all. And of course this leads to procrastination. It is a never ending cycle of self-defeat. Uh, Thomas Mm -hmm. Zelensky right after says, yeah, I wait for things to be perfect before I begin. And I think a lot of people really discount themselves or, or feel bad about that. I mean, we need people who are perfectionist, uh, you know, and on the other side, yeah, the bad example is is what I tend to be, which man, I'm not a perfectionist. I'll just go, but I I can do things, waste a lot of time. I should have counted the costs I should have. So for all of us, it's a balance, but I mean, Michelle, I know you deal with that a lot. Yeah. In this realm and in your coaching and in the, the book world and whatnot, of people who never get, they never get to it because it just, uh, they're they're wanting it to be perfect. They're wanting all the pieces there. They don't want to, it's kind of that faith issue. They don't want to have to get to a point and go, okay, now I just got to jump.
2: Right. Right. And I think we all do that, right? Don't we all want things to be perfect or or just wait till everything is just right before we, we start it. Uh, But the reality is, is that that, that day will probably never come. It kind of reminds me when we, you know, before you have kids, I remember thinking, well, it's just not the right time or, you know, well, when this is right, or when we have this much money or when I have this job, but the reality is it's never going to be just right. And there was a, a, I forget who said it, but somebody said a quote, when I was writing my first book and it just stuck with me and I even plastered it on my wall is you don't have to get it right to get it going, but you do have to get it going because you could have the best laid out plan. You can have the most incredible book story, something that could impact someone's life. But if you sit around and wait till it's perfect, think of all of the opportunities that you had to change someone's life and you didn't. But what if you just got it out there? It doesn't have to be perfect. You can always go back and fix it, but I I don't know. I I kind of fall more on that side of things, you know, over the last several years is you just don't have to have it right to get it going. Just get going.
0: Well, and there is that aspect. I, I see some of the most amazing people who don't step out to help others because they know they are not perfect. And I mean, we can't, when can we ever have a perfect uh, a politician, a perfect counselor, a perfect consultant, the perfect, I mean, we can't, so we've all got to go out there and help others within our own imperfection. Obviously you've got to have credibility of some success and overcoming for sure. Uh, but my goodness, yeah, we've, we've got to get, I, I, same thing with, as you said there, Michelle, I see so many people, I think, oh my gosh, you could help people. And they're so hung up on their own faults. Hmm. Um, that they don't do it. Well, here's one, you know, and with this folks, I mean, even as Michelle and I are talking about this and, and commiserating on some of it, half the point of these shows and the sharing is just for you to know you are not alone. There are other people out there. And I think so many people feel like their sin, their fault is the worst. And I hope you're hearing that, man, there are so many people out there that feel the same way you do. And again, not to make that as a cop out for, for bettering ourselves, But to know, I think we all tend to think I'm the chiefest of sinners. You know, my problem is the biggest and the worst. Uh,
2: You know, Kevin, let me share something that I I probably wouldn't normally share. But as you were saying that, I I just want to reiterate. Yeah, we we definitely don't have it all figured out. And in fact, today, uh, this morning, I was I'm working on another book and i'm not really ready to release what it's about yet but i was struggling a little bit with like who am i to teach this right mm-hmm. it's it's you know and and look i've done a lot of great things i feel very proud of what i get to do helping people share their story but there is that little part of me sometimes and i'm i'm thinking everybody has this as well but where you think well who am i who mm-hmm. am i to do yes. this and you I know for me, I, I got kind of caught up in that for a little bit. And it's funny. I was talking to one of my friends this, a few hours later and she kind of slapped me into shape and was like, you know, who are you not to, yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's funny because no matter where you are in life, no matter if you are at the, the bottom of the ladder or if you're at the top, you're still going to have those doubts and insecurities and and those questions but you got to do it anyway and you know it's that fear thing but feel the fear do it anyway and so i just want to be very vulnerable about that because just because somebody's out there already doing something doesn't mean they still have those doubts yes. but it's usually the ones that just do it anyway are the ones that that tend to make the biggest impact
0: i totally agree with you and i think we're in a neat age of leaders and influencers who we use that word authentic a lot but it's relevant Who are out there teaching something and they are also sharing their own struggle along the path. Yes. As opposed to, I think we had a time back when if you were on stage, you had to be king of the world. You had everything figured out, which, you know, gosh, we're we're here under the umbrella of Zig Ziglar. He was amazing at his own humility, even as he stood on and claimed a truth and led Mm -hmm. people. Uh, he was really good, but we're, we're in a neat place where I'm seeing more people who are open and honest about their own struggle along this side, this truth that they're sharing with us. Uh, That's a neat thing. Just keeping it real, keeping it real. And thanks to these sponsors for bringing us today's show. Exclusive to podcast customers, you will also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. So to get the special deal, go to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com. Use promo code Kevin. Well, so on that, you know, here's relationships and some of the, well, here, I'll, just, I'll read through them. Uh, there's one here that's uh, pretty Pretty vulnerable. Um, Michael here says a negative truth that I am changing is I've been selfish and only concerned about my own needs. I've been treating my wife and children like possessions and objects, boom, period. Uh, Jonathan Thomas here, he says, I have a tendency towards selfishness in my personal relationships. Very similar to Michael, uh, George here. He says, I am not as patient with others as I wish I was. I don't get angry, but I think I dismiss them quickly. Tom Ziegler said on a show once something about, uh, people come to you based on their situation, not based upon who they are and I don't often remember this. I wish I did. For example, my wife may have anxiety about something and come to me with tension about something that I don't think is that big of a deal, but she's not coming to me as my wife, but as a person who is anxious, I need to remember that more so that I can help her rather than dismissing the issue. Maybe this is patience, maybe it's empathy, but it's a negative truth about myself that I need to work on more. Uh, Bree here. I built a wall and don't know how to have meaningful relationships outside of my husband and children. I've always been a loner. Uh, boom. There you go. I mean, those are, those are significant. The fact that you know, we, we always talk about admission is, is a big part of the deal for folks to come and admit that. And these folks admitted it publicly. First, I want to just thank you all for being so courageous because you probably wrote things that who knows how many other people thought, and there's no way they're going to post those. Uh, I would have a hard time with some of those posts because I know my wife, she would probably end up reading the things. So those are, those mm-hmm. are big deal issues. Thank you guys for sharing them. And, uh, boy, when it comes to relational things like being selfish, Michelle, I don't know what I have to add. Uh, I, I, <laughs>
2: Well, what I was thinking as you were reading through all those is how many other people listening can relate to those. Yeah. I mean, we we all have times when we're selfish. I know I can relate to a couple of those things, right? Um, but I, what I love about them sharing it, number one, so other people can know they're not alone, and that's why we do this show. But also, when you when you acknowledge something that you're not good at or something that you want to improve on, that gets the ball in motion. Right. If you just ignore it and and just pretend like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm great in my relationships. That's when nothing positive will come from it. So I just love that they're willing to put it out there, be real and own it because, you know, you can't change it if you don't know what it is to change.
0: Yeah. I don't know if it was with you or with Tom recently, but talked about somebody I was joking, I think on a show about a temporary tattoo company might've been a guest because there's things like that realizations that I'll have of my gosh, Kevin, no, you're impatient. You're not listening, whatever. And I'm so amazed at 24 hours later, how I completely forgot about it. And there've been times, literally I've taken a Sharpie in the morning, like during devotions, I'm convicted and I'll write something on my hand, uh, to remember that. And, you know, it fades too quickly, but it, it is something that for those folks who shared like that, when we come to that realization, it's worth putting on your, calendar on your smartphone to pop up every morning for a week and and remind us it's we got to retrain our brains, retrain our mm-hmm. habits. Well, here's one, here's a few on I kind of put the heading on being present or listening and it really brought me to our recent show number 651 with Oscar Tremboli on deep listening, such an incredible message. Lindsay Washington says, my natural tendency is to be very direct. And as such, I often miss out on rapport, building opportunities in a conversation, which again, made me think she's, she's listening to respond, which is what Oscar would say. Instead of listening to really listen, uh, Kristen Carpenter says, I struggle with just being present. I dream about spending time with my family when I'm working and I constantly work or think about work when I'm home. I need to learn to make the most of the time I have with my kids and husband when I'm with them and then put hundred percent effort and focus into my work when I'm working. I owe that to my family and to my patients, but it is so hard for me to put this into practice on a daily basis. Mm. Uh, Steve says, I learning to listen better, uh, to show I acknowledge and I care about and I love those around me. Uh, listening with intent is such a gift to give to others. It's one I'm learning to create not easy when I love to talk so much, but being an empathetic listener is a quality I want to attain. And Michelle, I don't know if you heard the show with Oscar, but he talked about different types of listeners and I don't remember all the terminologies. I know one was in, you know, kind of like Lindsay said at the beginning, you're listening to formulate your response so that you can respond, you know, and and, and fix or something like that. Obviously, we all know the interrupt or somebody you can't get a word in edgewise. They're just they're just waiting to get their word in. And then the one that got me was or, or that I related to most was really, I think, what Kristen was talking about and being present and Oscar called that the lost listener, not that you're lost in general, but you're lost in your own thoughts. You're lost in a different thought. You're thinking about something else. And my goodness, how often, uh, I think I'm worse with my family members uh, my wife is, I'm a t- kind of to the point guy. She likes to tell a story and tell the background and I can be, uh, honestly, it's, a, it's an issue of respect. I can be disrespectful, no different than with my kids. And they're telling me something. I, I think the worst is, and this is something I hear, we don't let our kids do a lot of video games, but my gosh, what video games they do, they want to tell us about because they do these creative ones. Dad, we created this and we did this and I'm like, buddy, I, I have no idea what you're talking about. Can you? <laughs> Go tell one of your siblings. Anyways, I am not being respectful. I'm not. Uh, listening. I'm not, and I think for all of us to some degree, I think it can all come under that umbrella of, are you being present and caring about what the person's sharing?
2: I think this one is so, so important. And I definitely, am and, and, could use some improvement in this area, especially with kids. I I think back, my kids are teenagers now. One's already out of the house, but I think back to the early years when they were really little and I wasn't present. I was constantly thinking of, you know, 10 steps ahead or five years from there, you know, like, okay, once you do this, then you do this. And, and, and I regret, I regret not just enjoying the moment, you Mm -hmm. know, and not always thinking of, okay, well, next year when they do this or next year and when they go to college and, but it's so—it's just so important, and it's a gift you give to your family to just to just be present. I, I learned something though along those lines. I was talking to somebody who is a memory expert. This was years ago, and they were presenting on why is it that we all forget people's names? And if you're one of those people that you say, "Oh, I'm terrible at names," it's because likely. You, when you meet someone, you're not really listening at all. You are. You're thinking of that, okay, what am I going to say next? Or, you know, they're going to ask me, what do I do? Or whatever. So, and that's why two seconds later, you can't remember somebody's name because you're just not present. You're thinking of yourself. The spotlight Mm -hmm. is on you and not on that person. Mm -hmm. And I don't don't really know. (laughs) I'm not sure how to overcome this necessarily other than just being very aware of it. But it's hard sometimes, especially, you know, Kids and everything.
0: Sorry, didn't mean. No, no, no. I was just that one on the names. You know, yeah, it is. You, you, I, I think it's this dopamine rush. You're going to get to, you know, talk about yourself or introduce yourself to somebody, (laughs) and I have a hard time getting that name down. I have gotten into a pretty consistent habit of a minute later, and I realize I don't know their name, and I'll say, "I'm so sorry. Tell me again, what was your name?" And probably ninety percent of the time, in response, they'll go, "Yeah, and what was your name?" (laughs) And uh, and so I I think it helps give them uh, permission as well. I I hear you on the, you know, the kids. Sometimes I find myself with, I've got kids that are 24 and yet I've still got a six-year-old at home and you know, the stories there, I think I've been listening to these for a long time. I'm worn out, (laughs) (laughs) which is crappy. It's not the kid's fault. But uh, again, you know, good for us to know, have some grace with ourselves and strive to be Better. Well, hey, here's here's one that uh, we grouped under. I don't know if it's the best, heading, but an, an emotional. These people mention their emotions. So Jeanette uh, looks like Hewitt. She says, "I react emotionally to everything that is said to me, whether it be negative or positive. I crumble if I'm given the tiniest bit of criticism. I cry at the drop of a hat. I allow my emotions to control every aspect of my life." Um. Uh, Bramwell says tough one, Kevin, I think I can create more drama around a situation than there really needs to be. Sometimes I have been known to insert myself into situations, which ends up making things worse. This kind of creates a little self doubt at times about an appropriate course of action. Clinton says, I have a tendency to overreact before thinking things through, you know, it's interesting. That just reminded me that was, uh, I think I mentioned three of Oscar's listening issues. The, the last one that he listened listed I don't remember the title, but it was that it was reacting emotionally to something, kind of taking somebody's story or what they share and then taking it, you know, on your own venture and being overly dramatic or, or whatnot. But, you know, these folks are talking about emotional things, which, you know, sometimes that can be a character, uh, I think a personality trait to, to, to be emotional and dramatized. I'm definitely not that I tend to be probably too Uh, low key. So not a right or wrong. I think it comes back to, yeah, what's the, what's the fruit of it? Like Jeanette talked about, it looks like she's saying, I allow my emotions to control every aspect of my life, which as we know from Zig's teaching, we've done a show on it. It can cause us to be reactionary instead of being able to healthfully respond.
2: Yeah. It's, this is tough too, especially Mm -hmm. if you've had any kind of trauma in your life or you you know, you, you may be more sensitive to certain things than other, other people. But I, I, I think it's, again, good that they're aware of this because you can't, you can't change something that you're not aware of. I, I think of it like, you know, men and women, even, uh, you know, when you're dating and, you, you know, you could have the exact same scenario, but you see it two different ways because your truths are different, right? You were yeah. raised a certain way. And so, I'm trying to think of a good example of this, but maybe sarcasm, let's use that. So maybe you were raised in a family where sarcasm was just part of everyday life. That was a, that was like term of endearment or a way that you showed your connection and your love for one another. And so that is how you see it. Whereas maybe your spouse was raised in a family where they never had sarcasm and sarcasm was only used when you were putting people down and it was not a nice thing to do. I mean, you can instantly see that it's not that it's right or that it's wrong, but you wouldn't maybe overreact, yeah. but it doesn't mean that that person was trying to do something to hurt you. It just means that was their truth, that that was like a, a way that he connected with the family. And does that make sense? I, I'm not giving no, a No, I'm, I'm waiting.
0: I'm doing yeah. Oscar's thing. I'm listening to respond because I'm thinking, oh, I know that one. I, or I've, I've experienced that because, yeah, my family, who I would say was a pretty confident uh, family. And would do some good nature teasing. Uh, We still do when we get together. We
2: still do as my family. Yes.
0: And yet I've been with people then and been with people with my family who teasing was not done in a, in a healthy way. It was done to put down just like what you talked about. And then they are not okay with it. They're not comfortable with it. And I, I was oblivious until I experienced it and got their feedback. So I, I'm a hundred percent. Yeah. With you on that. I've, I've painfully experienced that.
2: Right. And, and it's I think when people say they're emotional or they tend to, you know, overreact or have drama, it's not necessarily that you're you're overreacting because you're doing something wrong. It's just maybe you're being triggered because it's somebody's truth is different than yours. And, and I don't know. Well, I'm definitely not a psychiatrist here, but I just for my own self, I see stuff like this. When I get really overreacting, I have to think, why am I overreacting about this? It's usually about something much deeper than the conversation we're actually having.
0: Well, and I guess it comes down to the fruit, you know, what, what, obviously what, uh, in the way that Jeanette shared it, she is not appreciating the fruit in her own spirit as a result of this, or maybe a, the fruit that she's getting, uh, from someone else. I know my wife tends to be more react or she, she, to be more emotional. She'll respond a bit. She'll, yeah, she'll be engaged in the conversation. I'm sitting here silent, totally listening. And my silence, As she did this not long ago. She says, you, you never responded. I just talked for 15 minutes. There was never a nod, never. And I said, I'm listening. She said, I just felt like you just didn't care. And we're, we're what? 25 years into marriage, you know, it's these differences of how we like to listen, be listened to and whatnot. And, It's uh, so there's there's no black and white there. That's a you know with this individual do this with individual do this. So there you go. We're all learning.
2: Maybe that's just a male female thing because I can recall that exact same conversation in my own house. (laughs) Really? Well, okay. (laughs) I'll just be talking and talking and talking and talking and talking, (laughs) and I'm I'm you know kind of waiting for some grand feedback or something, and I get nods and you know, and but it is my husband's way of of really respecting me and listening to me. But I'm like. I I got nothing. I need something back in return.
0: Uh, yeah, well, I'm I'm still learning. Uh, well, hey, this one we put under. I don't, we we put it was put under control, and that's where I got put uh, by my assistant, and because I had said I because I had responded to this too. I said I I think I'm in control far more than I really am or should be, and it really wrecks my peace. Uh, I don't want to keep living in this you know, self-made reality of how much I'm in control of. It's a you know, a God complex or a Superman complex or whatever. I've made a lot of grounds there, but it's still my go-to. When I get stressed, that's what I go to, and it's Mr. Fix-It Man and, and, and responsible for everything. And it doesn't help me or anybody I'm around. So uh, uh, Liza uh, Naylor, she says, I keep challenging myself, and I can't keep up with myself. I don't know how to just be. Oh my gosh. That's, she's, she's reading my own inner thoughts there. Uh, Mm -hmm. Bill McConnell says, the closer I get to finishing a big project, I flirt with panic and self-sabotage. And this is interesting. This is my dad, Dan Miller, which many, many of you guys know, he says, I set productivity levels unrealistically high for myself and then feel stress and discouragement when I don't hit those. Yeah. I don't know if control is the best topic for that. That's almost, we're almost talking more of a, yeah. High, uh, high expectations for yourself. Mm-hmm. I don't,
2: Self-sabotage even. So, okay.
0: okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, you're right. You're right. I mean, that's hard. Even what my, my dad said. I mean, we want to, we talk, gosh, we're in the personal development world here and we want to set, you know, set big goals. The, uh, what's the, the hack the big hairy audacious goal. And, and I want unrealistic expectations for myself, but then he talks about the distress and discouragement of not hitting those, especially if you got other people involved. Uh, yeah. I like, like much of this, I don't know if there's a black and white answer.
2: I don't either. The visual as you're talking about that was, I was sitting on a seesaw, you know, mm-hmm. like it's, you can be, feel so good and so up and I'm going after my goals and I'm accomplishing something. And then if you miss the deadline or something doesn't go well or something, then all of a sudden you fall down to discouraged and oh my gosh. And Like your dad said, and and maybe that is control or maybe it's just setting yourself up unrealistic expectations, that kind of thing. But I think it's hard. I think it's really hard to want so much, to be so focused and and yet not have that feel like, you know, you're supposed to give the control to God, right? But mm-hmm. it's hard when you're, okay, I'm setting this goal. I'm in charge. I'm going to get this done to just say, well, no, I'm just going to be. And <laughs> it's a very difficult thing Yeah, for me, at least I'll just say for me Yeah, to, to fully release some of that.
0: Yeah. Again, I love, I love, I don't know if I love it. I resonate with what Liza said. I keep challenging myself. Can't keep up with myself. I don't know how to just be. Ah, Be. That's yeah. Patience. Gregory Barline, he says, my fuse of impatience could be a wee bit longer. Okay. A lot. Uh, (laughs) Jennifer says, I I don't have any patience in my career, my weight loss and traffic, you name it. And I want it instantly. If it's not instantly great or successful, I'm out. That's that's weighty. I know a lot of people like myself resonate with that. I I would tend to, Michelle, you know, put that that there are personality styles and I mean the, my impatience is not all bad. I mean it helps me go after stuff and it helps me be spontaneous and make a decision and there's some good pieces of it as well. I think all of our, you know, strengths and weaknesses are often a yin and a yang. I tend to get frustrated when I am out of control of that. Or like Jennifer said, there's somebody driving slowly in front of me. And I always think, of course, of Zig Ziglar saying, and you, you, you yell and scream at them because you've realized that makes a difference. Right. right. And then
2: they go on their way and they, they don't know the f- dastardly deed that they did. <laughs>
0: so convicting. But, uh, you know, I, I would tend to think that those who feel impatient, they're also people that maybe get things done. And again, uh, probably a yin or a yang, you think, Michelle?
2: Yeah. I do because we're all impatient to some degree. I mean, nobody likes to sit behind a car that the light turned green and they're on their cell phone. I mean, there's nobody on the planet that is sitting there going, it's yeah. okay. We're all impatient. I think yeah. the problem with impatience is the reaction. So if you instantly, you can feel impatient, but if you instantly turn it to anger or you know road rage or something, that's clearly not working. Yeah. But you know, I do agree. Impatience tends to be the people. And a lot of it is personally profile probably, but You know, tends to be the people that make things happen. The leaders that are, they're making decisions, they're going after it. Um, But if it's the response, how are you responding to that in Mm -hmm. that situation? And how's it working?
0: Uh, Yeah, there you go. Again, back to the, back to the fruit of it. Last one here, actually last two, same kind of, uh, kind of perspective here, Julianne Black. She says, I would like to do much better at keeping a positive mindset and attitude when things don't go as I'd like to not let circumstances or situations affect me so much to react less and keep a sober spirit. Mm -hmm. Matt Horn says, I struggle with finding the balance of optimism versus reality. I'm always thinking that the grass is greener on the other side of my employment and career, my marriage, et cetera, and the mindset that you can only live once. And I want to live life to the fullest. However, I realize that responsibility is needed due to the decisions I've made in the past, and I need to take ownership of them. I, I, I think you guys spoke for a lot of folks. I mean, here we are. We're on we're, the Ziegler show. We're about optimism and thinking positive. I do appreciate Zig's quote of thinking positive won't let you do anything, but it'll let you do everything better than thinking negatively will. I mean, I do absolutely agree with that. But, gosh, like Julian, you know, talked about that too. uh, I mean, there's an aspect here of, I mean… I got to admit, Michelle, there's things that happen that I may not react positively to, even though I have faith, Hey, I'll figure it out or it'll work out or whatever. But in the moment, that's just frustrating. Mm -hmm. And, And there is some aspect of. I mean, even with Zig, I mean, i talked with Tom, uh, Zig's son, Zig was not just some supernatural Pollyanna guy and everything that, ba- that happened that was, that was bad or was, was different than what he wanted. He wasn't just, you know, Hey, no big deal. It wasn't him. You, you know that Michelle, you spent time with him, but he did tend to, I think, embrace again, that quote of, okay, thinking negatively and just going down that road is not going to help me any here. I'm still going to be yeah. better off help to, to make it positive and to have faith that, that things will work out. Uh, So I I think that, but I think there's a balance here. Sometimes I think people end up really giving themselves a bad rap because they do have that initial bad feeling and they don't feel positive right in that moment. Uh, So I I guess I'm saying there there is some humanity, humanity to balance out here.
2: There is. And, you know, using Zig, the example there, you know, I was working at the company when his oldest daughter died and any parent out there, you, you can't fathom. I mean, I, I can't fathom what that's like. And, and not that he was like you said Pollyanna i mean he grieved he wrote the book confessions of a grieving right. christian i mean there was nothing positive about that situation but i think what i've always admired about zig and, and he always had perspective he always had you know eternal perspective first of all but it's not that he he turned it to optimism you know to paint over the fact that oh everything's good everything's great but it's perspective mm. you know i can't change it i'm going to you know focus on um, you know, the best thing there is, or, you know, the, the, I, you know, I don't know exactly what was going through his head at that time, but I know I remember thinking, wow, I think I'd crumble in a, in a ball, but yet he kept going, he grieved, but he was still positive and he was still looking forward, yeah. um,
1: yeah. you know,
2: to, to, other, other, other things in his life. So wh- one thing with Julianne, I just wanted to say, yeah. because I can really relate to this We you know, share her wanting to be positive and, and sometimes that's really difficult one of the things that I did early on in my life is uh, I learned and I learned this from Zig is uh, affirmations. And it's not that you feel optimistic or positive or, you know, really strongly about something in the moment. But as Zig would say, you're telling the truth in advance. And so it's giving you hope. It's giving you something to look forward to. It's, you know, uh, you know, from from a biblical perspective, it's, you know, putting in truth and, and, you know, the promises and holding on to those. It's not that you have proof that it's going to change, but it's hope. Mm -hmm. And I just, I I think of positivity like that. It's not that it makes everything better. um, But it's the hope that it will, right? It doesn't mean that bad things won't happen. Um, I I just could so relate to that. And I still have to do affirmations, even though I know I I know so much, but I still have to remind myself (laughs) that just this too shall pass. This is a season.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, it's something along there that you reminded me of. I've had to learn. I tended to just discount feelings, negative feelings, just discount them. Uh, So, you know, anger comes up and I'm just going to shove that away, you know, and go forward. Instead of allowing myself to feel it and and I, you know what I'm, I'm that is still not my natural inclination. I have to really work to, okay, let myself feel it. It's been better to, I journal about it. I usually spend my mornings and I'll, I'll, I'll write through uh, my feelings there. And that's been a form of therapy for that. But now what we don't want to do is wallow in those and then walk in them again, anger is a great way to talk about. So we're saying, okay, it's, it's, you know, don't just shelf it and stuff it, feel it, but then don't wallow and walk in that. And that's a process that's hard. I think we tend to fall on one side or the other. We stuff it or we wallow in it. And instead of being in that healthy place of, you know, feel it, deal with it, and then don't walk in that. And I think for most people, man, that's talk about some brain training.
2: Yes. When I was in high school or college, I, those early years, I had a group of girlfriends. So we would put it this way. It's like, go ahead, have your pity party. You're allowed to have a pity party, but you got to put a timer on it. You got 15 minutes or (laughs) 30 minutes. And then after that shift, yes, you can feel sorry for yourself. Yes. You can feel bad about the situation and then shift, move on new, new, new perspective. Yes. Can't change it. So why wallow in it?
0: Well, goodness, I, you know, as always, it's, it's amazing what you guys share. Thank you. That's what makes these shows. I, you know, I, I, I want to tell everyone too, we are, you know, we have these incredibly, uh, influential people, great interviews. We get great feedback on the interviews. We do the habit shows, great feedback on that as well. But at some point we are looking at the stats. We look at the download numbers. And for a while now, there has been a trend of more downloads for these Q and a shows than anything else. And what hits me not to take anything away from yours and my skill and insight, uh, Michelle, but it's the, what the contributions are, are, I think what makes it. And it'd be interesting to do a poll to say, you know, what is it you like about it most? And I wonder if for a lot of people, it goes back to what you and I said earlier, hearing other people and what they're dealing with that you can resonate with gives you some grace for yourself. Now, again, not to, not to be a cop-out, but it gives you grace for yourself. Say other people are struggling with this too. And I think there's some power. Well, we know that Michelle, there is power in, in knowing you're not alone. Uh, it helps you, equips you to deal with it better.
2: Absolutely. And all these Q&A uh, podcasts are really just everyone sharing their own personal story. And yeah. I do believe that when we're authentic and we just get real and we put it out there, that's how you help other people. That's how people look at you and say, wow, if, if he can go through that and, and still be on top, I can do it. Or if she can go through that and still have a good attitude and you know wake up every day with new perspective, I can do that. And at, at the end of the day, it's what Zig stood for more, more than anything else. It's about hope. And we've yeah. got to build each other up and help each other have that hope um, because yeah. God knows I need it. And I know you do too, Kevin. So. Me too.
0: It's a weekly therapy session. So uh, yes, it is. thanks for the group <laughs> therapy section, session, everyone, and, and always a gift to do this uh, with you, Michelle. So yeah, folks, thanks so much. This has been a gift. Well, there you go, folks. The reality is we do have some negative things about us that are true. But the hope and absolute is that we can change these things. We need to be aware of them, admit them, get them on the table, and look at them and take the steps to be different, to go a different direction. And thanks again to all who shared. Coming up next in show 663, I've got a question for you. If you could wave a magic wand, Would you rather get more done or have less to do? Well, productivity messages generally focus on getting efficient to get more done, but the greats of our present day and history don't do more. They do less by figuring out ways to spend more time doing specifically what they can do best. So Michael Hyatt joins us on the Ziegler show for the third time. Our first guest to do so actually his new book is titled free to focus, achieve more by doing less. And, some of the punchline really that we got to is the primary problem for most of us is we just take on too much. And when we do so, we don't eliminate automate or delegate enough. And that's what Michael walks us through. We spend time doing tasks that in essence relegate us to a low paid hourly worker. And why gosh, two of the reasons and Michael steps on my toes uh, actually is that we think it takes longer to explain it to someone else than to just do it ourselves. And we also don't think someone else can do it as well. Well, both may be true, but if we stick just with that, then we're quickly plateaued in what we can do. And there we sit forever under maximized. So uh, we really dug into this and it was just such a tangible look at this issue and what we can do about it. Uh, Just a convicting and compelling message. Well, till then, thank you as always for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together.